I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick it off with the Week in Review. What TV shows or movies we've been watching since the last episode we recorded. Move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or a main review. And then... Film faves, our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. We thought with this episode, uh, because we don't want to talk about the Snyder Cut and everybody else is doing it, we would instead focus on Women's History Month. This is releasing at the end of Women's History Month. So we thought for the main event, let's focus on women in the history of film, have a little discussion and highlight some individuals or organizations that are worth highlighting regarding uh, women in film. And then we'll also do our list of our favorite women in history movies. So hopefully you'll find this very interesting, enlightening, and enjoyable. But first, let's start off with the Week in Review, a very light Week in Review. Shannon, you had a TV show you discovered that you wanted to talk about. What was that? Yeah, I just discovered Waffles and Mochi that released this week, I believe. And it is Michelle Obama's show about a discovery of food. So she uses the format, or her team and her, use the format of puppets. It's kind of got a PBS vibe, and it's really great. You have the character Waffles and Mochi from the land of frozen food. And even though they're watching on the screen Julia Child and trying to mimic Julia Child, (laughs) they've only got ice blocks and shaved ice to work with. And they find their way eventually to the world as we know it, more or less, where there's real food. And uh, these two characters go to Michelle Obama's grocery store. And how they refer to her in the show is Mrs. Obama. So I guess I can do that going forward. And... She gives them one task because they want to work there. They want to be around real food. They've always wanted this in their life, you know. (laughs) Um, She says, okay, you just have one job. Where do tomatoes go? And it becomes this journey, this discovery of, well, are tomatoes fruit or are they vegetable? And it becomes wonderfully confusing and... They get to visit with two chefs and they get to see how tomatoes are used by these two chefs and they get to hear why it's so important to to really think about your food and to ask questions about your food. Just simple questions like, is this a fruit or a vegetable, you know, and just so caring slow and wonderful Mm. by the end of the episode they can't i won't spoil it for anyone because it's really amusing but i will say it's this delightful conclusion about tomatoes Mm. and my toddler that i look after started the week on monday i hate tomatoes and i said you know tomatoes are in ketchup and he looked at me and said I like ketchup. I hate tomatoes. And I said the same thing about pizza. And he said the same thing back to me. And by the end of this episode, he wanted to eat tomatoes. (laughs) So I think it's a very effective show. It looks beautiful. It has a great set design. Mm. Everything is very sort of glowy. I want to make mochi and waffles. (laughs) You know, they're such great puppets. They're not the only puppets. There's a couple other puppets. 
you know, I'm sure we'll get bigger character, you know, more characters as we go around. But it's a very magical, fun, amusing show that's great for adults, too. Hmm. Yeah. So a couple of questions. One, it's a puppet show, not an animated show. Think Sesame Street, where you've oh. got humans. Mm-hmm. And, no, it's not animated. Although I think there is an animated sequence. They kind of play, Okay. you know, with the medium. So you've got your real live action happening and you've got the the two main characters are puppets okay so and then oh and it's available on netflix oh excellent i I was gonna get there very good but is it just one episode available or is there a whole season of episodes that's available and you just watched the first one so far i only got to watch the first one even though kiddo had asked and begged the next day can we watch another but we, we had other plans. <laughs> I, I was committed to watching Cars too. Oh. And so I had to make sure that that got done. So it looks like 10 episodes are available. And they go from tomato, salt, potato, pickles, rice, egg, herbs, and spices. My God. Corn, mushrooms. Oh, that might be good for our... Our son, our 14-year-old hmm. son, <laughs> maybe he'll change his mind okay. about mushrooms. And then water. So that's quite a nice theme, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I hope they get renewed for another season. And I know that merchandise-wise, they haven't rolled out a ton of merchandise yet, which okay. I also appreciate because not only are you testing the market, but you're also giving people a chance to fall in love with the characters. Mm-hmm. But they do have some books released. Oh, okay. So a little... Step one, step two, step three reading books about the characters. All right. So that's Waffles and Mochi available on Netflix. And that's everything uh, for your weekend review? Yes. Okay. So for myself, I don't have much either because I'm still going through Disney through the years. And I recently finished the animated movies of the 60s and posted my article about that on the blog, thegibsonreview.com. And now I'm starting to get into the live-action movies of the 60s that are available on Disney+, Plus, which there's 18 of them. So I'm hoping to be able to knock that out in the next couple weeks and have that article out mm, probably before the next episode after this one is released. So... Keep an eye out for that. But yeah, I watched 101 Dalmatians, The Sword in the Stone, and The Jungle Book. And you can read my thoughts about those movies on the blog. But, Jenna, we watched a new show that hit a couple days prior to the time of recording. It will be over a week prior to the time that people are hearing this. But it was the MCU's Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, we put WandaVision to bed. We talked about WandaVision in our last episode. This has one episode out at the time of recording, once again, kind of giving us a first impression of what this limited series is going to focus on. What are your thoughts so far of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I don't really have anything definitive, and that's okay. 
Mm-hmm. When I saw the first episode of WandaVision, I was pumped. I was excited. I was intrigued. I was like, what is happening here? This is so amusing and cute. And with this one, I, I don't. So I guess I fell in love with WandaVision, you know? Yeah. This one I'm kind of warming up to, I guess. Mm. It's not an instant gut reaction mm-hmm. or an emotional reaction that I'm having. Yeah. I do like that they're kind of focusing after the blimp, after the snap. Blip. I mean, but yes. yeah, blip. Sorry. You know, where they're focusing on like, because Falcon was part of that. He was snapped away. Yes. And now he's back. Right. Uh, so was Bucky, right? Yes, they both were. And by the way, this is taking place after Avengers Endgame. Okay, so they were both victims of that. And Mm -hmm. so now we get to see what that's like Mm -hmm. a little more. So I I think I'm going to end up appreciating it and really liking it. But there's also like this huge change that's happening, obviously, because, you know, Captain America isn't with everyone anymore and Tony Stark isn't around anymore. So there's all this interesting stuff that can happen and that Mm. can get discussed and teased out. But it's also happening on the groundwork. Like Falcon and his sister are kind of having this bickering match about whether or not they're going to keep their family's trawler. It's a trawler, right? Yeah, I think people here would refer to it as like a fishing business. Yes, and, you know, boats are expensive to maintain. They're difficult to maintain, but, mm-hmm. you know. A lot know, of overhead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of battling with that. And it's interesting because for, for, for five years, she's been battling to keep up with all of that. Right. Including the financing of it. Yeah. And then he comes in. Sam, yeah. Uh, Sam comes in and he's, well, let's just try. He's obviously going through all the motions that she has already been through. Right. And that I find very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I am with you in the sense that I think it's too early at this point to have an opinion on the show largely. I feel like WandaVision had a concept, right? And it it it, it had this concept that was immediately executed and you're kind of like, "Whoa, what's going on? This is kind of fun. This is really interesting. This is really different." But what's uh, what's really going on underneath the surface of this concept? Mm. This feels like it's really laying the groundwork of moving on into the next phase, moving on post endgame. What's what's going to happen from here in in a lot of sense? And so it, it seems like it's using Falcon and Bucky Barnes as the anchor of that sense of, OK, moving on from here. Where do we go from here? And also kind of grappling with kind of dealing with stuff from the past you know falcon does falcon feel worthy of taking on the mantle of captain america is winter soldier put his past really behind him or not and how and what does moving on look like for a man who's been around for the better part of a hundred years. Yeah, what did he say? He was a hundred and eight or a hundred and six years old. I want to say a hundred. Yeah, a hundred three, hundred six, something. But anyway, yeah. So I think that's the direction that we're going here. But as far as like a greater overall self-contained plot, I don't know yet what we got going on. 
there's a reveal at the end of the episode and we'll kind of check in in a future episode of this podcast with what we think of the series having seen the whole thing but at this point it's very early to tell i think and i think we have just shades of what we can expect but nothing to really form an articulate opinion about it yet yeah, um, I guess what I can say is that going from Endgame to WandaVision made sense to me, and then jumping to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I, I liked their rapport in the previous movies, so I think this will be fun. Yeah, it'll be interesting for sure, and it'll be also interesting to see what what things it's also setting the stages for for the future, because there's definitely a lot. So we'll definitely check back on our thoughts on Falcon and the Winter Soldier in a future episode. But that about does it for the weekend review at this point for us. And now it's time to move on to the main event, which is our discussion of women in film history. Now, this is kind of a big topic. And so what we decided to do, how we were going to make what we were going to do to make this look is... We each chose two particular topics to bring to light and talk about. We will take turns talking about our respective uh, things. And hopefully, in the process, uh, educate and bring some things to light that you may not be aware of. And I will try to also post links in the blog post of this episode, if not in the show notes, to things that may be brought up in this discussion so shanna did you want to go first yeah why don't i go ahead and get us started one of the things i wanted to talk about was something that i've known about for years is the gina davis institute on gender in media if she can see it she can be it so this has been around since 2004 and it's gina davis's project it's something that she created that has definite statistics, numbers, research-heavy organization. And they will pair up and consult with members of the entertainment industry to create a gender balance and really get inclusion happening and reduce the negative stereotyping in filmmaking. Or rather, film entertainment, because this goes from anything from adverts to TV shows to films. Mm. And their team is quite extensive. I won't go too much into that. You can totally check that out online. But everything is pretty transparent. And you can look up all these different people. You, you know, they've got pictures of the board. It's like any, I don't know if they're a nonprofit, but it's like any like organization. You know, everything is pretty transparent. And they have statistics all over their website. So this is something I wish that was around. This was beginning, I think, when I was doing my studies in photography in university. And if I look, think about how they were just scratching the surface back then and where they are right now, it's really impressive. They talk about how engaged kids are, how much more engaged teenagers are in media. And, um, you know, the effects of representation or the lack of as they age. Mm. And they also talk heavily about the sexualization of women in the media, because obviously that is something that has existed since the beginning. 
you know, objectifying women. Mm. Um, and they kind of are able to, because of so much of their research, they're able to very academically link eating disorders, low self-esteem and depression in girls with the media examples and research that they've done. Mm. Uh, so it's really just super extensive. What sort of uh, accomplishments has the organization made in its work? It's hard for me to say because their website is so rich and dense that it takes me a while to sift through all their information. You can become a member and then you get exposed to any of their Zoom talks or conferences or anything. This is a very big machine (laughs) and so you can become a member and i might do that as a birthday gift to myself um you know (laughs) in may because i've always wanted to but something that they talk about because they are the institute that people go to for gender media they're able to work with network studios and production companies guilds and agencies and influence how women are women are being portrayed in those things and so uh, they mention on their website that they've influenced significant gender portrayal in leading content such as inside out the little prince monsters university and shows like doc mac stuffins and i don't know if you have at all been exposed to that show love i'm pretty no. sure you haven't no but it's pretty sweet and it's it's uh, about a girl that's essentially a vet for her stuffies huh so you know, kind of showing women in STEM from a young age. Okay. Now, if you explore their website a little further, you're going to find a lot of sections. You'll find their about, you'll see their research, their events, their membership, how to get involved, the, the media, there's toolkits, there's everything and anything you could think of. There's even a Facebook guide for businesses celebrating women's history, culture, and community for the month. And that is something that I would not expect to see on a website like this, but that just shows how helpful they're being to women in the industry. If you go to their education section, you're going to see it broken up into three sections. There's something for parents. There's something for the industry. There's even something for teachers. So really getting connected and helping people. Uh, if you you know go further into it, they're going to tell you what they recommend, which it can be overwhelming in the mm. beginning because you don't want to... Look, Garfield is not... Is, you know, Garfield might bring up warm, fuzzy feelings of nostalgia for you jeff but it's in no way great for female representation and sure it definitely gives shows like that definitely give me pause like i don't want my children watching that i don't want that to be their base they can watch it when they're 16 or something when they have a strong foundation Hmm. but beyond that i'm like I want to go check what they recommend (laughs) and so they'll they have activities books gender media news for parents, a teen section, they have TV show suggestions, videos, and other websites. So they're not shy about sharing the spotlight. They really want you to know where to go and how to find other organizations that are similar minded. And then, you know, if you check out their book section, or what they recommend for teenagers, they recommend Real Women Have Curves, the movie that we've talked about on several occasions, and books such as Fearless Girls, Wise Women, and Beloved Sisters, and that's that book that's got a green cover that you 
Like, I don't think I got rid of it. <laughs> I oh, I like didn't. You, you, you have like, a copy. I have that copy. Oh, okay. And then if you go into TV, they talk about the girl power behind Disney's new Big Hero 6. Mm. I haven't checked out the show yet, but it's great. And they'll recommend Spirited Away and film, films like Bend It Like Beckham and the PBS TV show Word Girl. Mm. And it's, it's just really, it's so full of what the right direction is to go. So if you were ever confused or overwhelmed or unsure of what the pathway needs to look like for you and your family with regards to how we want our children to see gender in media, this is where you go. Mm. You go to the Gina Davis Institute and that is going to be the clearest pathway for you because of what they've got in there. One of the articles they have is, Disney's Zootopia, a feminist film completely by accident, question? Mm. You know, so really interesting stuff. It's not just lists upon lists. It's they're really taking an academic, I think they use the word collegial Mm -hmm. uh, approach to things, which in my opinion, going through a degree, going through a thesis, like that's what I want. Like I want this to be a tangible thing. That's what I've learned. And so I highly recommend you go check out this website, uh, follow them on uh, Facebook, Instagram, just so that it's in your periphery so that if, you know, you have the niece come over or the nephew come over or the cousins come over and you need to switch on a show for them, PBS is always a win. But, you know, if you want something more going through this and being conscious about what you're having them consume is the way to go. This is a great resource. I'm very impressed with what Gina Davis has has created and her team as well. Okay, so that's one thing. It's called the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media. Can you talk just briefly about Gina Davis and what inspired her to create this? And and maybe some people not even at this point familiar with Gina Dra- Davis since it's been uh, you know, 20 years or so since she was huge. So I'm sure everyone's familiar with that advert that was going around a a while ago on Facebook where, uh, you know, somebody had made a video of their child going through books on a bookshelf of like, okay, well, how many of those have female characters as the main character? Hmm. Okay, how many of them are black or Chinese or whatever? And how many of them basically qualify as the the book version of f-rated female character yeah gotcha, okay so it turns out that gina davis was watching television with her young daughter and that really made her look a little more at how were how was gender being represented in those shows and of course when you're watching shows with your kid you become abundantly aware of what the show is doing right and what the show is doing wrong Mm. as you know like we become highly critical when it's our own kid yeah and she started doing some research at the type of entertainment and um, she found that three times more men than women appear in children's television shows and films and that kind of spurred upon this institution okay uh, this institute i'm sorry and You know, she's this Academy Award winner. She's had really interesting roles. I think one of the last things I remember her being in was uh, Commander-in-Chief. And I think that lasted maybe a season and a half. It got canceled. I think it was around, 
something was happening that you know changed the industry and I remember really loving seeing her in that but so she made this institute so that she could kind of change that Mm. Um, and the best way you can change something in a very matter-of-fact way is to have research is to have numbers mm-hmm. and that's what they do there very and cool. why it is the way it is very cool so i'll make sure i put uh, the link to the website in the show notes if not the blog post on the website um to this episode so the first subject i wanted to talk about was go was to go way back way back to the silent era and highlight a woman named Mary Pickford. Now, I don't know that very many movie lovers these days are that familiar with Mary Pickford, but she was one of the first major stars of film. Also, with her relationship with Douglas Fairbanks, who was kind of an action star at the time, the the cinema's first action star, you know, the whole like Brangelina and all that sort of mm. things, you know? Yes. Yeah. Some of my bridal couples love doing that, making their, their own emerge name. They were kind of the original of that. In fact, they actually had a home together that they called Pickfair. <laughs> That's fun. We should name our house something like that. <laughs> I want to do. I want to get on this bandwagon now too. <laughs> but she's really kind of important to to note, and because she was someone who grew to be very popular, extremely popular, world round. She got actually with W. D. Griffith. She got discovered, and she negotiated a very impressive. Uh, wage that was double what what Griffith was typically offering, which was uh, he was offering five dollars a day, and she doubled back with how about ten dollars a day, and she got a guarantee of forty dollars a week, which is kind of impressive. But also even more impressive is I think she would also go on to be the first actress to sign a $1 million contract. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the first actress to sign a $1 million contract ever. And she had her own company that she eventually started. She was the vice president of Pickford Film Corporation. Uh, She was very savvy, a business mind, and she eventually started and founded United Artists, which was a a distribution company that's still in existence today, was co-founded with Douglas Fairbanks and Charlie Chaplin and uh, D.W. Griffith, who I think eventually fell off of it very early on after it was founded. But this is a woman who was a very important figure in film and had a lot of power. Uh, For a while, actually, you know, before she actually became known, she was in so many movies in 1909 and 51 movies in 1909, not even credited. But Mm. people instantly recognized her in these films that she starred in um, so that 
some theaters or what have you would even sandwich boards have sandwich board signs saying, you know, blah, blah, movie starring the the girl with the golden curls, Blondie Deluxe, or the Biograph girl because the company was Biograph. And so even before she became a star, she became like instantly recognizable mm-hmm. and people wanted to um, wanted to see more of her. Interestingly enough, also, she was the original ingenue in film and she would go on to play. I don't know what an original ingenue is. So an ingenue is a stock character in literature, film, or a role in theater. Generally a girl or a young woman who is endearingly innocent. That was... Oh, okay. So like a character archetype. Archetype, yeah. She was, you know, usually it's a new young actress who can be typecast in such roles. And Mary Pickford certainly was for... Her most of her career, I mean, she played kids into her 30s, you know, which people are a lot more savvy about that now. But that's what people wanted from her for most of her career, because that was so much of her identity, as well as her hair, too. Mm -hmm. You know, Billie Eilish just posted a picture of her changing her hair from green to blonde. And the Internet, like for a day, (laughs) went nuts. Well, translate that back to the silent oh, yeah. era yeah when mary pickford appeared in a movie without her blonde locks like people it must have been very shocking for people yeah people went nuts right mm-hmm. so mary pickford was kind of an originator in a lot of different ways and she also had creative control of a lot of her movies um creative input so uh she's really someone who i think more modern audiences should go back and check out such movies that's notable of hers as Poor Little Rich Girl, Daddy Longlegs, Pollyanna, Sparrows, I've seen, Tess of the Storm Country is another movie I've seen of hers. That's uh, one of her earlier notable films that she starred in. Uh, Tess of the Storm Country actually is credited as really kind of taking her career and, and, and skyrocketing it by the way and it's it's a good movie it's uh, been a long time since i've seen it but you know these silent films are worth seeking out and kind of help celebrating this this woman she did have a hard time though translating into the talkie era and it didn't go well she did not last long in the talkie era unfortunately but as i understand it she went on in her uh, career to to produce instead of star in in films so yeah mary pickford someone that i think is worth highlighting and spotlighting and and worth kind of revisiting revitalizing um and remembering so i highly recommend it a good question would be can you find any mary pickford films to stream right now you can see her films Secrets and Sparrows on Amazon Prime, as well as Stella Maris, The Black Pirate, Pollyanna, Lil Annie Rooney. So there's several, and it seems like Amazon Prime is the place to find any Mary Pickford movies right now. Taming of the Shrew from 1929 with her husband, Douglas Fairbanks. Uh, is all on there. So I recommend checking her out, learning more about her. That's Mary Pickford. 
Shanna, you had a book you wanted to highlight for further reading, as did I. But why don't you share a little bit about your your book and, and its author? So it's really funny. When we were planning this episode, you like went to our room, to our bookshelf of feminist things and movie things. And you grabbed this book and you said, yeah, you could use this. <laughs> it's the book that you got me for either my birthday or Christmas. I can't even remember mm-hmm. that I just haven't had a chance to read because... As some people might know, when you have a concussion or two, it's very difficult to get back to reading. Mm. It's it's not an easy thing to do. It's like it's like a learning how to walk again for your brain kind of situation. So you grabbed the female gaze, essential movies made by women by Alicia Malone. But this woman is a female reporter, a broadcaster, historian, author, and self-confessed movie geek, according to her website, which is amazing and has beautiful photography for movie geeks. Um, And I'm very jealous. I want things like that too. (laughs) So it looks like she's also a host or was a host on TCM. I don't know where TCM is right now because we've seen a bunch of TCM stuff put on HBO so does that mean right. the channel still exists yeah so, it's 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 one of those that you have to pay for okay and or you have know, it in, in a particular package on her website she's also a vintage lover and I know there I have a lot of friends who are vintage lovers so if for anything any reason go and check out her vintage awesomeness there but let's get back to the book I judged it too quickly and then I started reading it properly and I was like this is a great book so What is the female gaze? You might not be familiar with it because often we hear the male gaze. And if you studied art in any aspect, you're going to hear about the male gaze because it's what has controlled the depiction of women for centuries beyond film, including, you know, painting, sculptures, etc. And it's essentially the one that um, invokes sexual politics and sexualized way of looking at women it's when a man is creating something and objectifies a woman if you're aware of the characteristics of it you can sometimes point out an artwork be it film or a painting whether it was made by a woman or a man um, and just by seeing how the woman is portrayed in it So the female gaze is kind of flipping it on its head. Mm. And what she does in this book is she looks at films that are made by women. And she also includes other people in her book. She, She has them contribute to critiques about films that maybe she didn't have. Because she didn't want it to just be her voice. And, you know, she talks about that concept of, uh, it's not exactly her words, but she talks about the concept of vote with your wallet. If you're going to purchase a movie, if you're going to go watch a movie, go and watch one that's actually made by women. And she encourages people to use this book. And when you're watching films suggested by this book, to use the hashtag 52 films by women challenge so if you want to go check that out on instagram you can go be part of the tribe you know interesting so very i i think this person's also very marketing savvy Mm. so i have to commend her on that as i'm going through my own marketing education so this book is a really good starting point here's how approachable it is the first movie she suggests is the consequences of feminism a french silent film from 1906 by Alice Guy, 
And it's only seven minutes long. Mm. So in reapproaching this book for this episode, just this morning, I was like, well, it's only seven minutes long. I'm going to go find it on YouTube. And I couldn't stop talking. Jeff actually was like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I couldn't stop talking and commenting on how amazing this piece of work was. Right. So I want to get to that. We're going to circle round back to Alice Guy later. But what I'm saying about this book is the first movie is a seven minute one. So not hard to jump on the 52 challenge. And then the last one she talks about is by Chloe Zhao, the writer. Now, unfortunately, I haven't seen that, so I didn't read the review on it. But her second last review is Ladybird, And that was interesting, too. And to see just the difference in the formatting, she mentions, you know, all the credit lines of yeah. director, screenplay, actors. And it's very minimal. That it's only Alice Guy mentioned in the first film, as I previously said. And then by the end, you've got all these women being included in the credit lines. Mm. And what she does is she says what the movie is about, obviously, like any film critic. And then she talks about how this is helpful for women. Mm. So with um, the consequences of feminism, what is it? It's basically a gender role reversal. Mm. And it's something that you would see on Facebook that... Uh, um, a social media star would just, you know, pop out in a, in, in a week or something. And it's really amusing and funny and true and uh, in its own right and makes you think and talk about what the person, what, what, what Alice Guy is saying. And it's, it's a great jumping off point. And then with Lady Bird, she just talks about, obviously, I sing praises of Greta Gerwig a lot, mm -hmm. but talks about how, why hasn't this film existed before among all the John Hughes teenage films and films about, you know, guys be coming of age? Why hasn't there been a female coming of age? And here's what one looks like. And here's the voices we get to hear i'm kind of curious like diary of a teenage girl existed before lady bird um i know welcome to the dollhouse is directed by a man but that existed before lady bird and i wonder if i wonder if he even speaks to like movies like diary of a teenage girl which is also created by a woman which you know that's one thing that made lady bird distinct but like what can you tell us about the book and why you recommend it so Here's what I can say about the book, because I've only just started diving into it. What I can say is that Alicia Malone starts with 1906, ends with 20, 2018. Mm, okay. So I made a mistake. The writer isn't the last one. She actually reviewed. She has Carla Renata review A Wrinkle in Time. Oh. And there's other people that get to review things, too. So Jesse Melton on Songcatcher. Oh, Moira McDonald. So there's actually other critics. The, these are other critics that are contributors. That? More, right. So Maura McDonald does Bright Star from 2009. Right, Jane Campion movie. Yeah, so a, it kind of goes, the format seems to go one by her, one by someone else, one by her, one by someone else. So that it's not just her voice being shared in there. But whenever she reviews something, it has a different format. It has quotes in it from other people, such as US Today. So something like Real Women Have Curves. They'll, she'll give credit to all the people. She'll quote the director. She'll quote the actresses. And it's all going towards, well, how is this helping 
female depiction. So that's really great. And she'll talk about highlights of the film. Then she'll say, how is this helping? What are the facts about the film? And that can range in helpfulness to just like, oh, well, Lady Bird was 320 pages long. Okay, cool. Hmm. I can't really relate to that because my movie knowledge is only so much, but it's great. And then something like Bend It Like Beckham, it looks like she reviews it. So she'll have quotes from Gorinda Chada, Kira Knightley, Roger Ebert quote thrown in there. And then in the fast facts, she'll talk about what these actresses and what the director had worked on previously. So it's a good introduction to female created films. Hmm. If you know nothing Hmm. or if you know very little, it's a great dive in. So you could take this book and you can kind of check mark and write opinions in it once you're finished checking out you know, number one, number two, number three. So that's why I would recommend it. It's a great starting point. Very cool. Uh, my book is by Linda Seeger, who was apparently someone who was a script advisor, if I understand correctly, a script consultant. And she's written other books about screenwriting and such this this book is called when women call the shots the developing power and influence of women in tv and film and i found this to be a very fascinating book i read it a couple years ago because she goes as far back as the beginning of film and she talks about the silent era and apparently the silent era was like people talk about the 90s and the rise of the indie film. It's more like the return of the indie film because mm. the silent era was like the wild, wild west of film making. And so it was indie film mm. at that time. That was uh, what was happening. Like all these people were creating their own production companies. And it's almost like indie the, film is when you have control as the creator right of the work. sometimes yes yes and it, it was almost like the youtube of the day because mm. everybody or i should say every state had production companies and and films being being shot and stuff so people think oh like it's just the film industry was just in california and new york and that actually wasn't the case until later on about the 20s or so with the rise of the studio system but i bring it up because mm. she talks a lot about it in here and she talks about uh the the fact that that women were actually a large part of of the filmmaking industry at that at the time here it says during the silent era women can be said to have dominated the industry there were over 30 women directors prior to 1920 more than at any other period of film history women writers were considered the best of this era and in 1918 alone some 44 women were employed in the film industry as scenario writers Many of these women were considered the top screenwriters of this period, and the women directors were considered equal to, if not better than, their male colleagues. And it's that's kind of cool. It goes into detail talking about the first filmmaker to make a narrative film was a woman, and she was also the first female filmmaker. It talks about Lois Weber, who was the first American-born female director, and what her career was it it talks about all these different women who were 
major filmmakers at the time, as well as going on. That's just the first first section of the book. Mm. It goes on to talk about women who became studio heads and how in the 80s, starting in the 80s, basically, and in the 90s, there were so many women who were head of... Uh, Head of studios, major studios that in Hollywood. That is definitely something that I would not expect. And it just makes me wonder, well, like, why have I got that education? Where did I get that education from? Mm, yes, it's it's actually really cool. And there is actually a section here of photos of many of the women talked about in the book. There's 200 uh, interviews, apparently, that were conducted for the making of this book it's such an excellent resource and she does these sections i'll i'll finish talking about this book by highlighting at the front of every section of the book she does this timeline uh, that kind of like outlines major contributions that occurred uh, like 1915 directed Julia Crawford Ivers is the first female general manager of a Hollywood studio that studio being Bosworth Incorporated Viola Lawrence considered the first female film editor begins her editing career in 1929 she edits uh, Goldwyn's first sound picture Bulldog Drummond Lois Weber became the highest paid director in 1916 at Universal Studios and the highest paid woman director of the silent era. The list uh, goes on and on. Dorothy Arzner is the first female member of the Directors Guild of America in 1936. So I highly recommend When Women Call the Shots, The Developing Power and Influence of Women in TV and Film by Linda Seeger. It's apparently still in print. Oh, that that's one drawback is it, it, it was published in like the late 90s. Hmm. So, I mean, I would love, I know she's like in her 70s now. I would love, if not her, someone else to kind of pick up the mantle and kind of continue this look at what has happened in the past 20 years. What has things looked like? You know, it's really fascinating. If you look at the stats that's shared in something like Gina Davis's Institute compared to the statistics of the silent era, uh, where what's happened? You know, it's, it's like apples and oranges. It's crazy. So I would be interested in seeing someone write about how things look today and in the past 20 years as well. So it does have its limitations, but you can still find this book. And I highly recommend checking it out because it is, as Denise DeNovi, famous producer says, a wonderfully comprehensive in-depth examination of women in the business. So check that out. When women call the shots. Now, Shannon, you and I wanted to highlight one last thing together. I'll introduce it. You carry on because you, you mentioned in passing and I think it would be a really good idea if you talked a little bit more about this person's work. Alice Guy Blushay. Now, history apparently kind of rewrote things to credit George Millier as being the first director mm-hmm. of a narrative film. Mm-hmm. George Millier, who some people may not be familiar with, he's the one that did like the trip to the moon. Now, George Millier, do not want to take away from his contributions to film because they are important for sure, and he's one of the greats of the era. But this book, I learned, and other resources like your book, goes on to talk about Alice Guy Blachet, who was actually the, the first to direct a fiction film. 
And that film was The Cabbage Fairy. In 1896, she was a French woman, and so it, it actually has a French name that I won't try pronouncing because That's I probably will. for the best for everyone. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but, you know, this woman had quite the career for some time, and I think, like a lot of women, if I'm not mistaken, like a lot of women, once the rise of the studio system came, she basically lost everything over time. She is one of the first directors. She is the first female director. And she made uh, quite the contributions. And she became one of the most notable women of the time uh, in in film. Like special effects. Here's uh, one thing. Special effects. Guy created special effects for her film, The Life of Christ, including one that showed Jesus rising from the tomb. Uh, she had car chases, collisions, explosions, did those in the early 1900s. She made movie spectacles 17 years before DeMille began his first biblical epics. She did all kinds of genres. She dabbled in romances, adventures, comedies, sci-fi. She did an adaptation of um, Victor Hugo's novel, La Esmeralda. I think it's one, I think it's the, one of the first adaptations of mm. one of his works. Very, very cool. And... She had this film that, Shanna, you're going to talk about that's really wild for 1906. Well, I also had quotes about how people felt about her through Alicia Malone's uh, book, The Female Gaze. Photoplay magazine from 1912 said she's doing successfully what men are trying to do. She is succeeding in a line of work in which hundreds of men have failed. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock said, I was thrilled by the movies of D.W. Griffith and the early French director, Alice Guy. Martin Scorsese, during a posthumous tribute in 2011, said, she was more than just a talented businesswoman. She was a filmmaker of rare sensitivity with a remarkable poetic eye and an extraordinary feel for locations. So this movie that I guess we'll just talk really briefly about is The Consequences of Feminism from 1906 in France. Seven minutes long, easy to find on YouTube. A gender role reversal comedy set in a fictional world where men are the ones being objectified. Now, as I said earlier, I mean, this is something that you would see a, a YouTuber or a social media star make, you know, in just a few minutes. Mm. It's... So you can definitely see, like, this, even if you haven't been exposed to her film, like, in some way we have, you know, because it's there's a reason it's being created over and over again right now in social media. Oh, like you're saying that kind that's of all, thing. You're saying people are actually remaking the same concept in no, social no, media? No, no, like, what I mean is there's a style to it, right? And that has carried through. Okay. So. Of gender reversal? Of gender reversal, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you'll see moms act like dads is the most common Mm. type of video i'll see that'll make me laugh hysterically and then you'll also see you know like that one video where a guy is dressed like the mom and people are coming over oh yeah and you, she goes you know she goes insane you so, showed me <laughs> you know like that's like a comedy satire this is like something that a lot of people participate mm. in mm. you know but this is actually made by a woman so when I started watching this, I couldn't stop talking and I couldn't stop laughing because it felt so familiar. Mm. And even though it's taking this Victorian era, I, I guess, um, 1906, mm -hmm. 
men are dressed like men, women are dressed like women, but men are put in roles of what women would have been doing. So we see men um, in a hat shop. They're making hats. They're fussing with each other. It's it's really great. I actually didn't know they were making hats until I read about it, but I was like, they were, they were fussing, you know? They're in a haberdashery of some kind. Yeah. And like a woman walks in with a cane and she points to what she wants to buy and she buys it but she feels up the men like and by feel up i mean just like a little tickle under the chin and like an admiration of of a guy's butt and it's just hilarious because it's all silent it isn't held up incredibly well but you can still tell what's going on she exits the shop and then the man puts on some makeup before he leaves and makes sure he's all nice and another man brushes off the dust of his blazer for him and it's it's very sweet and then he walks outside and is oh what is the word where a man comes uninvitedly to you and won't leave you alone. Harassed. That's the word. Accosted. So, yeah. So this this man is accosted by a woman. Another woman steps in and protects him. They go to a park bench and then she starts assaulting him. And two men walk by. They giggle about it and then hurry away. They don't try to help. And it's it's that is in the first two or three minutes. And it says so much about what women are dealing with because it is clearly this role reversal and it's completely relatable. And what I found myself, you know, there's more that happens that like men are clearly the ones that are taking care of the children and fussing over the children and loving Mm. the children. And the women are in woman-only exclusive club type setting where the men can't come in and disturb them from their their relaxation time, you know, and their time to decompress from nothing. Yeah. So it, what what I what ended up happening in my brain is I started saying to you, oh, men deal with this all the time. And it's like, well, no, women deal with this all the time. And so my brain had already switched. And oh. even though the experience is on my own, I was saying it about the characters. Yeah. And so I just found it really interesting. And then we had talked about something afterwards and my brain hadn't gone back. It hadn't switched back. So I just thought it was really, really interesting how this seven minute film says so much about gender, not even really gender roles, but how women are treated yeah. by just having women be men, you yeah. know? And it says a lot about, you know, harassment and abuse too because the one man is having his face sucked off and, you know, even though he didn't want that in a park right, bench, right, you right, know, yeah. and, and how there's complacentness and, you know, people not standing up for what's right and and all of that. So it, it says a lot and it's 1906, which just is, my brain is just like... Phew, you know, yeah. I, I can't even verbalize it because I'm just like, this was made in 1906. Like, you know, I, it's just really fascinating. And when I saw that she, uh, Alice Guy, had made a thousand films, I was like, well, can we see some of them? Because <laughs> I know, I know what happened during that time. There wasn't an archival system. There wasn't a preservation system, you know, it just uh, yeah. even though that's when we needed it, right? Because it's film. And so it looks like there's about a hundred films and that they're continuously trying to find more and trying to preserve and, you know, get that quality back so that it can be distributed so that we can enjoy her work because it sounds like she was a really phenomenal 
creator, a really wonderful businesswoman, someone to really look up to and actually admire like her tenaciousness. Now this film tenacity, has been yes. what? Tenacity, yes. What did I say? Tenaciousness. Is that not a thing? No. Okay. <laughs> and it looks like this film got remade by her like six, ten years later? Right? Uh, six years. I think it was twenty uh, twelve. Oh, nineteen twelve. <laughs> yes, if I remember please correctly. come back and make films. <laughs> yeah. Channel through someone. I don't care. <laughs> it's like you can tell I'm really passionate about this, and mm. I'm really fired up about this. And that's just the first film that's mentioned in the female gaze right. by Alicia Malone. So we'll have to see what the rest does to me, and how much I don't stop talking. Yes, but that's Alice Guy uh, Blachet. And uh, definitely a major contributor to film and women in film that um, is worth looking into. Uh, to wrap up here, I'm just going to mention a couple other things. Uh, the rap did, the rap.com did a really good breakdown list of women first. And I think one that's really important to highlight is Sherry Lansing was the very first woman to lead a major Hollywood studio. That was 20th Century Fox. And uh, she's she's gone on to be heads of other things, too. But check out the rap. And it has a really it's surprising how many firsts are still like kind of recent, you know, that are happening mm. uh, that, that, have ha- that have come about. You feel like, oh, that should have happened years before. <laughs> and then so there is a Wikipedia article, Women in Film. It's a little bit cursory. But it does go through a lot of really helpful and interesting things that I think is a pretty good introductory resource, too, for people to check out uh, from everything from pay and representation to organizations and feminist film theory. And he even mentions the Bechdel test, too. So uh, that's a really great resource. I'm going to try to include links to these things in the show notes if not also in the blog post about this episode. So that'll be great for your SEO. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, share with us your thoughts of, of women in film history and your thoughts about what we've brought up. Feel free to email us at the Gibson review at gmail.com. Now it's definitely time for us to move on to talk about films, about women in history and celebrate them with film faves. Film Faves is, if you're not familiar, a segment that's inspired by a feature on the Gibson Review wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Um, The idea is to kind of highlight our taste in movies, but also hopefully expose you to things you've never heard of or seen before. And to that end, we try to uh, let you know if any of them are available on streaming platforms, uh, you know, streaming subscription services such as Netflix, Apple Plus, Amazon Prime, Hulu, HBO Max, and Disney Plus. Now, Shanna, I can't even count how many movies we started with. I, there's somewhere around 50, 50 plus. Well, there were two pages worth, so. Yeah. For our list here, and what's surprising is... Okay, so for me, I don't know how you went about making your list. Uh, maybe you can share it in a second. For me, I had to boil it down to not just the movies I've seen, but which ones seem to be about women that like had the biggest impact in some way in order for me to kind of narrow this down to 12 favorite movies and then kind of favorites from... 
those. But I was surprised that not many, even though this is Women's History Month, not many of them are actually available on a streaming service. How did you attack this and go about making your list? And and did you find that many were available for people to stream to? As far as streaming goes, it's very sparse. It's very disappointing. Because mm. I know for Black History Month, there were a lot of black films available and i just find it very odd that that's not happening here Mm. maybe it's just poor foresight i i i don't know well going about making the list i know you had said you know significant women that contributed to society and history but the thing is sometimes it's not as simple as that i find that you know we have stories about jane goodall we have stories about greta thunberg we have stories about Hedy Lamar, and most of the time that takes place as a documentary, and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. It seems like to me that a lot of documentaries about female musicians, that seems to be a winner for people, okay. because that's what there's so much of. Oh, yeah. And it, it just makes me wonder why we don't have a Marie Curie film. Uh, maybe there is valid. In, totally in, valid. Maybe there is in France, and we're not exposed to it because we're English speaking. Um, and then, often it's it's a lot of a lot of British stuff, a lot of royalty, a lot of a lot about the queens of England, which is great. I want to know about the queens of England that have existed and and what they've done. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, we have one movie about Harriet Tubman. Could we have more? We have one <laughs> movie about. Tanya Harding, and that's great. And a film about Erin Brockovich. I mean, Erin Brockovich showed us that, you know, we're ready for more films about women that are leaders, that are tenacious, that are single moms. So coming back to, I know you wanted us to do things about women who contributed to society, but... That was just my way of crafting the list. Oh, well, I thought that's what you wanted. So I crafted it that way. But I included stories that spoke to me and spoke about female experiences that we might not think about that need representation, too. To your point about Marie Curie, by the way, there is actually a biopic that came out two years ago Hmm. directed by Marjane Satrapi of Persepolis. Anna Taylor-Joy, isn't it? Wait. Called Radioactive, which stars Rosamund Pike as um, Marie Curie. I was under the impression that was a show. I will go and watch that straight after this because the creator of Persepolis, uh, how do I say her name? Marjane Satrapi? I think so. Is amazing. So I will go watch that right now. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> maybe maybe I just preemptively put it on my list because <laughs> I know it's going to be good. All right. Well, let's dive in and talk really briefly about these movies with your 12th favorite women in history movie. Mine is going to be Hustlers from 2019. I love the cast. Constance Wu, Jennifer Lopez, Julia Stiles, and more. I know we talked about this being about woman who is mainstream adored, basically. But I think that hearing from women from all walks of life, from all industries, including sex work, is as important as the discovery of radium. So... I want to hear their stories. I want to hear their highs, their lows, because sex work is so often depicted as this poor little old me character in film, in the film industry. And 
there are women who do want to do sex work and want to change change it with laws so that it's more empowering for them i came across someone in la at a conference who was just having starting conversations with random people very brave woman and i i think that this film just shows that you know we're all a little naive about industries that we don't talk about and i'd like to be less naive and i think that hustlers at least opens my mind up to that and also, it's based on a true story. The true story is that there are these women that get men, you know, they go through a series of things in life and they eventually get this plan to make men very drunk and take advantage of their credit cards. And who's going to believe men that went to a strip club and had too much of a good time? So it's kind of interesting. Maybe yeah. it's a little bit like... Well, it's also a very important aspect of that is the financial crisis of 2008. And it's it's supposedly oh, yes. Wall Street brokers that they're targeting. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an there's there's a great depiction of the 2008 crash, too. OK, so my number 12 favorite I landed on is I basically have documentaries and I have, I have biopics. And the first one is a documentary. It's from 1991. It's Madonna, Truth or Dare, which I haven't seen in a long time. And I kind of wish I got an opportunity to revisit for this. But looking at what I could now, it's like I was reminded, oh, my gosh. First of all, how often at that point did you get documentaries that kind of literally looked behind the curtain and gave you a peek of mm. a particular musician or pop star's life and persona? Not that many. I mean, I think maybe the last waltz about the band by Martin Scorsese was one that preceded mm. um, and mm -hmm. Bob Dylan's Don't Look Now by D.A. Pennebaker in the 60s. But oh, don't look back. But uh, Madonna was uh, this this thing takes place um, and is filmed and released at the height of her powers. I mean, she was huge, huge worldwide at this time. And this was during her blonde ambition era, too. And so which happens to be one of my favorite eras of Madonna and her work. And it's really kind of cool and interesting look at not only her and her career and her her powers, but also celebrity and the the idea of, of documentary and celebrity and and you know you do have other celebrities that pop up and and the attraction of Madonna herself, who it's important to note is one of the most powerful women in the music industry and has been for decades now and uh, one of the major contributors of of uh, pop music too of the past 30 40 years so uh, madonna truth or dare from 1991 is my 12th favorite women in history movie my number 11 is coal miner's daughter from 1980 based on the life of loretta lynn who was as the title says a coal miner's daughter and came from very humble beginnings uh and then reach this sort of platform of queen of country mm -hmm. we see a couple other musicians featured you know sprinkled here and there uh, from the country genre what i love about this film is how she keeps going and when she is exhausted asks for forgiveness instead of just going until she completely and utterly burns out uh, there's a lot that we can learn from her it's 
almost how I wish things went for Amy Winehouse. Mm. It stars Sissy Spacek and Tommy Lee Jones, and we see Sissy Spacek <laughs> like uh, depicted as the age of I think fourteen, something absolutely right, ridiculous, yeah. and and until you know adulthood. And so it's very interesting. It definitely hits home. It's a film that makes me emotional, but also angry. Yeah, there's a lot that I relate to in this film, and I think that a lot of other people would relate to as well. Very cool. My 11th favorite is a movie that I feel like we talked about early on in the podcast, very early on in the podcast. It's called The Post, which it stars Meryl Streep and Tom oh, Hanks. Oh, that That's nice. Yes. I believe it was directed by Steven Spielberg, if yeah. I remember correctly. It's one of his more notable films of the past decade. Uh, not in his whole career. You look at me like, okay. more notable say, than just. Sorry, but no. what? <laughs> um, of the past decade. It, it is about Kay Graham, who's like the owner of, I think it was the Washington Post, which eventually did the investigation of, of Watergate. You know, Woodward and Bernstein worked for that paper and stuff. And it's a really great double feature of going from the Post to all the president's men. Uh, which is one of the greatest films I've ever seen. But this is a really good and interesting movie because you also have like scenes where this woman, she's the boss, but you have men around her trying to, trying to dictate what should or should not happen and, and what, what the paper should or should not do and stuff. And, you know, she has these, these moments where she has to take over the conversation you know, and kind of reassert herself and also assert herself by making a decision about a particular story, too. So I highly recommend that movie. That is The Post by Steven Spielberg, starring Meryl Streep as Kay Graham. Shannon? My number 10 is Mary Queen of Scots from 2018. We've got Saoirse Ronan and Margot Robbie. What an awesome pair. This is a fairly complicated story for me to kind of talk about because royal things, they're a mess. Okay, that's that's all I can say about that. It's the truth. We all know it. Like, unless you grew up regurgitating information about it from the age of seven it you know it's not easy to follow but basically she was mary mary was queen of france at 16 and then husband died at 18 and she went back to scotland because that's where her rightful throne was basically we have a fight for the throne who's the rightful heir to the throne so a mini game of thrones thing but with women and it's really wonderful performances by the two of them i I also love the story of two women fighting for what they believe in. They kind of had similar beliefs and both of them were very close with their people in that, you know, we see Mary fighting alongside her army, like really getting in there, dirty, gritty, everything. And we see a little bit of that in Eliz with Elizabeth in other films. So we're aware of it, mm -hmm. that it happened. But in this one, we kind of see Elizabeth kind of uh, staying in court for that. And... I like seeing that relationship because through letters and history, we see that they're they're trying to make the best of the situation and they're trying to acknowledge each other's strength and power, but it's complicated due to the patriarchy, mm -hmm. even though these two women are in very high positions of power. Well, the highest positions of power, but yeah, yeah. Okay, so my 10th favorite woman in history movie is the documentary Amy 
from 2015 about Amy Winehouse, uh, which literally documents the rise and fall of one of the biggest singers and most talented singers of the past 20 years. I've always been kind of blown away by this film because it it makes so clear how incredibly talented this person was and mm. also how other men manipulated her life and led to her demise. Mm. And it's it's really something and and very powerful and you know, again, it's worth noting because Amy Winehouse is she she only released like two albums, I think. And yet she became one of the biggest names in music for a period mm-hmm. of time and uh, most sought after. And unfortunately, she couldn't be left alone enough to just do her work, mm-hmm. you know, and continue to contribute to to the medium. But. We have this uh, documentary that documents that and helps remember her, and I highly recommend it. It's it's uh, one of the best documentaries I've seen in the past 20 years, if not the past 10 years. That's Amy from 2015. Okay, my number nine is Harriet from 2019, starring Cynthia Erivo. And this is the film about Harriet Tubman. We see the story of how she escaped slavery and through fighting for her own freedom was able to free many other slaves, hundreds even. That's what most of the movie focuses on is this woman that was brave and smart enough to go back and save others and how she fought against there were abolitionists at the time and, and, you know, you had this community that they show us this community that was being formed and the uh, underground railway that was happening. And so this, this structure that was trying to dismantle slavery but also gets get slaves out mm-hmm. and we see her coming up and knocking heads against them and she knows her purpose she knows she's supposed to help others and it's just interesting seeing all the different things that affected that she was a nurse in the union but she was also a scout and spy so she was this really talented humanist we we also see her save 700 slaves in one mission, and that mission is the Combahee Ferry Raid in South Carolina. So really spectacular woman, had a great impact on society, and I, I thought it was a great movie. All right. My ninth favorite woman in history movie is about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed not that long ago. I'm a big fan of On the Basis of Sex, the Mimi Leader film starring Felicity Jones, about basically the early career of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm -hmm. Love Felicity Jones. But I went with the documentary RBG from 2018 for this list, which is available on Hulu. By the way, is um, Harriet available to stream somewhere? Oh, I'm very sorry. It is on HBO. Very good. So RBG is available on Hulu, and uh, I think that it's been there for a couple years now because I think that's how we saw it when it first came out. And it does a really good job of informing us about RBG's life, her career, and how she came to be the the significant lawmaker that she was the significant judge and how she sometimes 
made really articulate points about laws, but also sometimes dissented against her peers and and why. And she would articulate why she's dissenting on certain decisions on laws. And she's one of the most significant women of the past 50 years, I think. And that documentary does a very good job of, of educating you on why that is and why people love her. That is RBG from 2018 on Hulu. Uh, my next one is also from 2018. is available on Hulu. <laughs> Look, that's cute. It uh, also looks like it's gone through a name change. This is called Tea with Dames, and it is now called... <laughs> Yeah, it depends on nothing, the market. Nothing like a dame. Yeah, it so, depends on the market, oddly enough. I well, think there's I'll, a European name yeah. and there's an American name. I'll tell you the nothing like a dame is definitely an Americanized bastardization of the title. <laughs> this is a great ditty of a get-together with four amazing women kind of recounting their acting careers and what they went through throughout that time. Uh, they started act. They pretty much all started acting at a very young age and are now much older and why and are able to share some really wonderful insights into what it was like being an actress all these years what they had to deal with. We get to hear all about it and we get to sit with them. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Judy Dench, Maggie Smith, Eileen Atkins, and Joan Plowright. I love it because we just get to sit with them. The, it's a documentary that just really takes the approach of being allowed to come for tea <laughs> and sit quietly in the corner and let the woman speak yeah. uh, sort of approach. And, you know, if you're listening, you get these little nuggets of wisdom and get to hear about their accomplishments, but they also kind of take little jabs at each other. Like, I think it's Judy Dench will say, oh, well, you know, they don't always need a British woman of my age, of our age in, in Hollywood. But if they do, you know, they're asking Maggie Smith first. <laughs> Maggie <laughs> Smith sits there and says, what are you talking about? And so there's these uh, and, you know, everybody else agrees with Judy and it's just really entertaining and lovely and just they're so sweet with each other. Uh, note of clarification, the original title is actually Nothing Like a Dame, and the mm. U.S. title is Tea with the Dames. Wow, I stand corrected. My bad. I guess. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So my next favorite Women in History movie is another documentary, another music documentary, Oddly enough, it's coming out to be every other movie on my list. This one is from 2013. It is Punk Scener. That's my number seven. Oh, very cool. Uh, so I will share my thoughts and, and I'll let you contribute too afterwards. Uh, this is about Kathleen Hanna, who is a bit of a, um, a minor local hero that many people don't even know about in this area uh, where we live who helped form a movement in punk rock indie music in the early 90s that was carried on here in Olympia, Washington, and also in D.C. She was more on the D.C. front of things, but uh, she fronted a, a, a punk band called Bikini Kill, and that was a major part of of this feminist movement that was a about giving 
women space respect and autonomy in concerts to to cry out and fight against a lot of male aggression that happens in concerts that sometimes is taken out on women but also other things having to do with women autonomy women's rights and and such and uh, she goes through talks about her career as a musician and wonders what happened to her too it's fantastic fantastic and it's a great educational uh document too for those who may not be as aware of something that wasn't as publicized in the media which is the riot girl movement so that's the punk sceneer from 2013 shanna what's your thoughts on it well didn't they protect themselves from the media that's that's yes i I have my own opinions on whether or not they quote unquote protected themselves, but yes, that's what their perspective. So I've watched this a few times and thank you for all of that because I don't think my description would have been nearly as good as yours. That oh, was okay. awesome. Okay. But every time I watch this, I love it even more and I am not into this kind of music, but I love the story and I love hearing about the movement this Mm. was like this additional movement to feminism this was where feminism needed to come into a case of where it needed to come into a particular industry at a particular time to really push forward women having space and room and rightly so Mm -hmm. in in that industry so i i love this film because i get more appreciative of that movement that they created more and more, I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an unsung hero in the mainstream that uh, this definitely highlights. All right, so my seventh favorite woman in history movie is a documentary, Jane, from 2017. Uh, this is only the second movie on my list to be available to stream somewhere. It is on Disney+. Plus. It's about Jane Goodall. And, man, this movie is in so many ways really beautiful it talks about her career it kind of documents and goes through and educates of her career and and the contributions she made to what's what's the name of the field not um zoology but like nope okay (laughs) um so she studied chimpanzees right the idea was initially to try to primatologist primatologist oh well thank you very much um to find a link between man and and chimpanzee and the footage in this film is really what i find most moving and interesting because uh, you see human interacting with chimp and and getting like so close and and it's that in itself has its own beauty but also you get to see the chimpanzees be you get to see um a baby chimpanzee kind of exploring the world it's its own little world it has and it's just absolutely wonderful to watch and then along the way you are learning about jane in her life and i learned some things i didn't know about her honestly and and we're surprised by and found very interesting. So it's a beautiful documentary. Jane on Disney Plus is my seventh favorite woman in history movie. 
My number six is Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story from 2017. Oh. This thing was available on Netflix for years, and it's not anymore. <laughs> it's nowhere for it's, free. You'd have oh, to rent it. Bummer. So, yeah. This is a documentary about how Hedy Lamar became an actress, but was also an inventor a lot, you know, all her life, and always wanted to be one. How, it's also so it's about her time in Hollywood, how she helped with many things, how she was an immigrant. Uh, who was her studio? Was it MGM? Oh, God, I don't remember. Whoever was her studio, this person that was in charge. Oh, with Louis B. Mayer, right? Oh, okay, that must yeah, be it. So, yeah. Would like go and see foreign, foreign girls, European girls audition and then he'd be like okay come with me to america this is the stipend blah 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 mm -hmm. and it was really interesting to learn about the industry in that way mm -hmm. things that i didn't know and just how badly women were treated actresses were treated like it was just quite terrible they don't make it the main focus but no. they give us enough information to really know the dark side particularly you know? about louis b mayer mm. and how much she contributed and how much she loved this country Mm. And showed it by helping raise funds for the war, helping mm. be involved, helping by, you know, thanking the soldiers, because this is happening during World War II. And then also alongside that, how her invention helped so many different things that we take for granted now, such as Wi-Fi. You know, that's a huge thing that without her contributions, we probably wouldn't have that right now. Or maybe we'd only start having it now. And I just thought it was very interesting to learn so much about who this woman was. She was so much. And also learning about, you know, her as a mother, too. I think it's a great documentary. I think that everybody should check it out. I, we should learn more about people like this. Yeah, I thought the the big thing about her is she was more than just an actress. She had a she had an incredible STEM mind. She was very very intelligent and would invent things all the time. So uh, that's a great recommendation. My sixth favorite, hitting the halfway mark here, is I Tanya um, from 2017 on Hulu about Tanya Harding, starring Margot Robbie, a movie that we've talked about. A few times before we might have even reviewed it in the early days of the movie lovers if yeah. i'm not mistaken a movie that we've always been proponents of i think is easily one of margot robbie's top three performances so far in a career that i mean this was only four years after her breakout role in wolf of wall street uh, she has had one hell of a skyrocketed career but uh tanya harding uh, not a beloved woman in history, but is very unfortunate because one of the things that this movie makes clear is how she was one of the most talented figure skaters in the world at her time. She was able to do things that nobody could do. And that's really, really kind of cool. I appreciate this movie for really making that clear and highlighting that because it's so easy to just focus on what she may or may not have been aware of that, that was done for her on behalf of her by men, by the way, and how those things kind of led to the demise of her career. Very well performed. Love it. I, Tanya from 2017 on Hulu. 
from 2005, I have Walk the Line. I know that this film is really about Johnny Cash, but I am mentioning it because of Reese Witherspoon as June Carter. Hmm. June Carter in this film is a wonderful woman. Not only was she great in the country music uh, world, but I love seeing in this film in particular how contagious her energy is and how she stayed true to herself, waiting for Johnny to get himself right before even entertaining the idea of having a relationship with him. And if that's the only thing that you can take from this film then i say you're going to prevent a world of hurt for yourself <laughs> later it's it's such an important element such an important life lesson and i love this movie because of that because of june carter and how reese witherspoon played her very cool awesome my fifth favorite movie is going back to being a documentary Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work from 2010. Oh, yeah. That was a great one. Isn't it, though? It is. You know, uh, it really made clear how significant Joan Rivers was in the field of comedy, in the field of stand-up comedy. She was, until she died, one of the hardest-working comedians there ever was and she really pushed the needle and pushed the envelope of what was what was acceptable for comedy to touch too and this film does a really great job outlining her accomplishments but also making very clear how hard a worker she was even in her senior years i was not a huge joan rivers Mm. fan but as i've talked about in past episodes in the movie lovers i love and have an affinity for documentaries about comedy about comedians and the process and this movie definitely i think it was one of the first ones that i saw that helped me realize that uh, because it really turned my opinion around on joan rivers completely and she became famous for so many other things but this movie really helped highlight her accomplishments in uh, as a celebrity and as in, in the film and in, in the, the field of comedy. So that's Joan Rivers, a piece of work from 2010. My number four is Shut Up and Sing from 2006. This might seem like a film about the Dixie Chicks. And although that's who we're following, mm-hmm. this is really about a particular thing that uh, band member Natalie Maines did. She did this thing called freedom of speech <laughs> yeah. where she spoke out against George Bush's decision in 2003 and all the chaos that came from that. This is basically a preemptive look at the whole concept that's crazy right now called cancel culture. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're following through, through the whole process of that and we get to see her just straight up say, this is bullshit, like freedom of speech. I'm allowed to say these things. I'm not the only one that thinks this. But also we're seeing her bandmates be there with her 
mm-hmm. and persevere with her mm-hmm. and stand by our side yeah. yeah and it's so in a way we're learning about cancel culture we're learning about freedom of speech and the backlash that freedom of speech can have in mm. this country in particular and we're also learning about being there for each other and now they have an album called gaslight so gaslighter yeah. <laughs> gaslighter so let's go ahead and really look at what's happening here and look i'm not a dixie chicks fan again this is a music documentary about a music genre i'm not into but i love the film and i feel like that film and they as a group really do contribute to society in getting us to talk about these things awesome my fourth favorite women in history movie is i think the one movie that is banned from your future lists when we oh, did well, that's so nice of you to include it on your own so, i'll try not to hijack your time very good I'll give context. We did our 12 favorite movies of all time and decided behind the scenes that those movies should forever not be included on any film faves segments because they will always be obviously (laughs) the most favorite, if not the, you know, one of the two most favorite movies of any topic. Wild was included in Shanna's 12 favorite movies of all time. Shanna doesn't get to talk about that movie anymore. But I do, <laughs> because it wasn't I mine. I didn't know about this agreement that Jeff came up for us. <laughs> well, it's something that I was like, hey, you know what would be a good idea? And we talked about it, and you, like, stomped your feet. You know? But anyway, about this movie, it's about Cheryl Strayed, who, you know, by just doing a thing to help heal herself and help grow as a person and move on in her life she became this touchstone for so many people as an, a, a, a person of in, an inspiring figure and and that's who reese witherspoon plays this is also one of two well one of reese witherspoon's best performances of her career mm-hmm. i think she was also great in big little lies and other things mm-hmm. i have a lot of respect for Reese in this film and this film because of Reese. It's a very great film. That's Wild from 2014 as my fourth favorite woman in history movie. It's so hard for me to keep my mouth closed about that. Well, go ahead, go ahead and and, and contribute, uh, respond. Like no, no, I can't even. I can't even. Okay, I have been silenced. (laughs) Oh, that's not. That's something that we haven't talked about. (laughs) <laughs> we watched that interview okay coming what? back oh the Meghan markle thing? Yeah, yeah yeah okay so coming back and harry it's Meghan markle harry oprah, oprah. <laughs> yeah okay so coming back to the task at hand number three for me is aaron brockovich from 2000 how could this not be on my list i think it's basically on every um, f-rated female-led female everything kind biopic thing Mm. I think it's on all of them. Julia Roberts is playing Erin Brockovich, who, you know, at this time is a single mother who becomes a legal assistant and pretty much brings down a California power company that polluted the city's water supply, basically all by herself. She is tenacious as fuck and doesn't give up and is inspiring. And just if you have ever had a friend that's a lawyer, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what kind of lawyer they are. They are a very particular breed of people. You know, they know how to say things just so. They know the difference between right and wrong and are able to articulate as such. 
but there's something really special about Erin Brockovich. She brings a ton of fire mm-hmm. and a ton of empathy mm-hmm. into this. And it's just such a strong performance, such a this aspiring woman. I want to be, you know, mm-hmm. I want to be able to articulate things like her. And it's just really wonderful. And she's still true to herself too. Like the person she's, the person she's assisting is, uh, says to her one day, well, I think you need to go shopping for different clothes. And she's like, really? What's wrong with my clothes? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I am going to wear what I'm going to wear, you know? So I, I love her for that too, especially. Very cool. My third favorite Women in History movie is one of your favorites, Walk the Line. 2005, I was going to make the same point. I know this is a Johnny Cash movie. Mm. It's like 51% Johnny Cash movie, 49% June (laughs) Carter Cash movie, really. Yeah. And while I think Witherspoon's performance in Wild is better... This is the other film that I think her is mm-hmm. one of her best performances in her whole career, in her whole film career. She is wonderful as June Carter Cash. Not only is she charming, adorable, and delightful, but she's also... There's something that's very real about her in those private mm-hmm. scenes um, when she's trying to rebuff Johnny Cash's advances and stuff. And, you know, she's trying to be a mom or all these other things, you know, going through scandals and, and, and uh, failed relationships. June Carter Cash is a legend in, in country and Western music and her family are legendary in country Western music. She's the, I think the one who's been the most successful from the Carter girls and only overshadowed remotely by Johnny Cash uh, out of everyone related. So well, she's that's the thing. It's right? like two bright lights yeah. in the same kind of artist art medium mm-hmm. coming together. It's yeah. just fascinating. Yeah, she's great. So that's Walk the Line, my third favorite woman in history movie from 2005. Shanna, we're down to your final two. What is your second favorite woman in history movie? You know, I'm looking at my my top two, and I think I'm going to switch them around. I'm going to make my number two, I, Tonya. Okay. As you said, on Hulu from 2017, Margot Robbie. How could I not have Margot Robbie on here? But also, I know you said something along the lines of, like, not the most celebrated hero. Yeah, like, she's been villainized, right? Yeah. But honestly, this move me makes me want to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Because... This movie is a fine example of how women are punished so much harsher mm-hmm. in an industry than the people actually responsible, especially if it's men. Yep. And, okay, you're a star. You're going to get punished three times more than mm-hmm. these two men over here. You're going to suffer the consequences for the rest of your life. Whereas these men over here, they'll maybe suffer for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe 12. <laughs> you know? And I just think that, yes, we get to see Tanya Harding from a very young age with this wonderfully raw talent Mm -hmm. and achieve something amazing that she wanted to achieve in her athleticism. But then we also get to see, you know, how a woman treated. And this is a fantastic film that is I, Tanya on Hulu. Excellent. My second favorite Women in History movie ended up being one of your favorite as well, Shanna. 
It's the irresistible Erin Brockovich from 2000. She is damn well irresistible, isn't she? Well, the film is overall. Yeah. Absolutely. Julia Roberts, of course, is a very big part of that. This is, I would probably go so far as to say Julia Roberts' career best performance. Uh, you know, I think you hit on a lot of what's great about it and and, and what it's about, certainly. And uh, I just want to add my my kudos too to the film. It's it's fun. It's funny. It's moving too. A very very powerful drama at times. But it's just carried along, and and it's like you got this spoonful of sugar that is Julia Roberts bouncing off of Albert Finney and and anyone else who is going to hurt other people. So I love it. Erin Brockovich from 2000 is my second favorite women in history film. It's Shanna? like Mama Bear incarnate <laughs> sort in of. a legal way. Sort of, <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite women in history movie now that you got your order sorted out? Yes. <laughs> so my number one is Persepolis from 2017. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Now no. that, that's one that should be on Criterion, hey. That sh- so freaking should. Mm. I wonder if they'll, I'm sure it'll get there. Maybe. Please get there. This is based on the biographical by Marjane Satrapi as she grows up during the Iranian Revolution. The film is universal in its coming-of-age story of a young girl to woman. The style was something really particular, and it's because it was the artist's style. They decided to take that style from the graphic novel and just translate it into film form. And what a great idea, just really making this wonderful choice to further, I think, I see it as honoring the artist. I know that the artist had a lot of control over the material, but at the same time, I'm like, thank you for doing it in such a way that is so infused with you. Mm-hmm. There's a there is so much that happens in this film because we're seeing not only the story of a young girl to an adult woman, but we're seeing what's happening around her mm. and how her life changes and how mistakes can happen if you're caught up with something like a revolution and what you should do and what you shouldn't do and what is the reality of your loved ones in a situation like this and but you know it's not always about the revolution mm-hmm. it's sometimes more close to home like relationship with grandma and the love that you have with grandma and how much you admire her and Mm. what you learn from her i think that that is my favorite part of the story is Mm. everything and anything that's happening with between her and her grandma Mm. so a really relatable story you know this is again that whole like oh well i'm not gonna watch it because it has subtitles but it's really worth it Mm -hmm. you know I, i i really love this film yeah, you, you're definitely making me want to watch it right can, now because it's been a while. Let's, um, let's go watch it's a it great now. film, and <laughs> and the book is is worth reading too. That's fantastic. My favorite woman in history movie is yet another documentary, and it is Shut Up and Sing. I knew it. Oh, did you? I did. From 2006, <laughs> Shanna, you did a very good job of explaining what that. That is about, and you know, you're right, it is about cancel culture before that was even a thing that people had a word for. Mm -hmm. And it is about freedom of speech, but it's also about the nature and danger and the concept of patriotism. 
what is patriotic? Is it patriotic to speak out against something that you disagree with your leaders doing? Or is it patriotic to go along with what the leaders say we're going to do? And and silence those dissenters and silence their work and and burn their work and 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 stuff and so it's it's really interesting to see what this ban went through but it opens up the conversation to these it's really about these bigger ideas right And also looking at it through a post times up lens, you are also noticing like, well, you know, one member of this band made one comment at a concert Mm -hmm. and the country, an entire field of radio, by the way, just lost their mind. Would they have done the same thing if they were men? It's very interesting looking at it in that perspective. Male saw, musicians in that particular right. genre. I saw mm-hmm. someone articulate and include this as part of a bigger articulation to that point. I can't remember where that was. But I do think that's a valid perspective to have here. So, yeah, Shut Up and Scene from 2006 is my favorite women in history movie. And by the way, like country music never forgave them and they eventually recently dropped dixie from the their band name dixie chicks and now they're just called the chicks because Mm -hmm. they're like fine you know it's been 20 years almost Mm -hmm. we're moving on and uh, i am looking forward to hearing that album gaslighter yeah and you know they seem like like i wasn't sure how i felt about them as musicians because i we have discovered that i prefer scores over anything else Mm -hmm. and when we started listening to gaslighter i realized that they're really quirky fun musicians (laughs) you know they have a lot to say with the style of with a comedic style almost yeah so those are our favorite women in history movies. What are your favorite women in history movies? Feel free to share with us at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. Shannon, before we talk about the next episode, since we have come to the end of this episode, why don't you share with people where they can find you online? You can find me on Instagram, Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography, and on Flickchart, Spellbinding A. Go to thegibsonreview.com to find past episodes, but also such features as the Disney Through the Years project I am undertaking, where you will find me going through the entire history of Disney movies, live action and animated, reviewing every movie that's available on Disney Plus and ranking them. You'll also find other articles and reviews on there. Go to Facebook.com slash The Gibson Review. Follow me there. Go to Instagram, The Gibson 99, to follow me. Oh, also another thing I did, Instagram's reminding me, I'm a part of a month-long event that's ending around the time that you are hearing this episode. Challenge, choose to Challenge Cinema, part of the whole Women History Month and Inter- International Women's Day looking at women in the industry that have challenged expectations and norms, uh, gender norms. 
I did an article about Elizabeth Taylor you'll find on the GibsonRearview.com. But as far as the Instagram account, I do polls there. We recently did polls for your favorite 2008 movie that predictably ended up being The Dark Knight. And we also just are wrapping up at the time of recording right now your favorite dragon movie in honor of Raya and the Last Dragon, a movie we reviewed in the last episode. That is about to close at time of recording. It came down to Spirited Away and How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. They are tied at the time of recording. Check the Instagram account to find out who actually won. Next time on The Movie Lovers, we will be doing a titanic monster of a episode with our review of Godzilla vs. King Kong and Film Phase. We'll be focusing on our favorite versus movies. Movies with verses in the title, much like Godzilla vs. King Kong. So tune in there. That should be fun, quirky, and interesting. That will be available on Tuesday, April 13th. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.